And then I'll inform everybody that this is, uh, it is time to begin this July 12, 2023 Surreal Politics Wednesday members-only video chat, and we're going to get the show on the road. July 12, 2023, Wednesday, members-only video chat on SurrealPolitics.com. And uh, hello to our friends who are watching this event on Odyssey, our supporters over there. Thank you very much. Very uh, glad to have you with us. And uh, there's uh, there's actually a lot going on. And I just, you know, I find myself wondering where the time goes sometimes. In the, uh, in the email I sent out before the show, which I'm sure you're getting, right? You get you get my emails. Um, you'll probably get them from SurrealPolitics.com and ChristopherCantwell.com because you're my huge supporter. You love me and you want to help me. And one of the ways that you help me is by being on the email list. And then you check your spam folder. And then you and then if it's in your spam folder, then you say, hey, Google, hey, Microsoft, it's not spam. Don't you ever put that in the spam folder again. Because that would be very bad of you. When you do that, that that helps me a lot. And so I'm glad that you are already on both of my mailing lists. And if you're not, I mean, you could do that. You know, it's uh, surrealpolitics.com slash newsletter, christophercantwell.net slash subscribe. You could be on both of them. And I don't even like it. It doesn't it hardly cost me anything. So you don't bother me at all if you're on both of them. And if you want to, like, put your other email addresses on it, like you want to put your Hotmail and your Gmail and your ProtonMail, and you go and, you, and then you pull them all out and you say, hey, stop marking that as spam. That'd be great. But uh, in the email that I sent out, anyway, you probably already know because you've already received the email three times. You know, I mentioned that I got I was all rattled today. And uh, and I told you in the email that I'd, I'd let you know what had me rattled once we were hot behind the paywall. And of course, you know, here we find ourselves. And so uh, I wake up, you know, some of you might have some awareness of this, that like yesterday was Amazon. They do this thing called Prime Day. And on Prime Day, they have a lot of like pretty great. Some of them are great. Some of them are actually not so fantastic, but, you know, whatever. Um, They have some great discounts available. And so I put together I I have uh, the Amazon wish list, which you could buy things for me from. If you go to surrealpolitics.com slash donate or christophercantwell.net slash donate or in a lot of the show descriptions, you'll see the link to the Amazon wish list. But I set one up that like um, that was just Prime deals, right? That these are limited time offers, so you know if you want to if you want to show your support this way, um, these are discounts that are going to expire pretty soon. And so I created a separate wish list for that, and um, 
I sent out this email and I said, you know, uh, you know, here's this Amazon wish list if you want to support in that fashion. And not long after this, I went to bed. And so I wake up and the whole thing has been cleared out. And I'm kind of shocked by this because, like, this was not a small amount of money. And, uh, you know, but I'm happy about it because, you know, you know, I'm, I've got a bunch of new toys coming. And so I start adding more stuff to this list. Now, if you've ever used an Amazon wish list before, you might know that, like, the, the default setting on these things is don't spoil my surprises, which is to say it does not notify you when things are purchased. You, you actually have to change the setting. And then you have like the option of sorting things by purchased and unpurchased. And I tend to do this to check on it on like a semi-regular basis because, you know, for the same reason I, you know, check my sales numbers in my bank accounts. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a form of revenue <clears throat> and I have to make, you know, purchasing decisions, taking this sort of thing into account. And I also like when I do the Amazon wish list, I, I try to be um, I try to be cautious about what I put on it. Right. Like I don't want to waste your money any more than I want to waste mine. So I don't usually put like I don't I don't put the cheapest stuff on there. I don't put the most expensive stuff up there. I look for good buys. And, you know, the sometimes the prices on things change or market conditions change. So I update the thing, you know, semi frequently. And of course, you know, what counts as a good buy um, depends in some part on, you know, what you have and what you might be able to part with. And so, like, since I don't necessarily know who's buying what, this is not always an easy calculation to make. For example, I put up, um, I put up parts to build a computer that was capable of taking, like, the, a top-notch video card. But I didn't actually put the top-notch video card on that list. The video card is, like, $1,600, it wasn't one of the items that was discounted for Prime Day. And if I had just, you know, happened to find $1,600, you know, while I was walking home, this actually is not how I would spend that money. So, but those computer parts, they were like 15 to 40% off some of them. And they might not be marked down that much for, you know, some time. And so buying them right now, that, you know, seemed like a more reasonable expenditure. But when I find that the whole thing has been cleared out, you know, somebody's been spending some money and I'm I'm certainly now better situated. So I start putting some like higher ticket items on the list. And at some point I go back to, you know, sort of look at what I've put there and it's all gone again. And I say, whoa, you know, this is unusual in the extreme and nobody has bothered to tell me like, hey, I'm the rich guy buying up all your toys. But I'm not about to, you know, put whoever is you know, in this position in a spot where like it's harder for them to give me things if that's what they are, you know, inclined to do. And so um, I keep on adding things to the list and they just keep on being bought up as fast as I can add them. And at some point, like I sent out an email, you know, you guys probably saw because you're signed up for both of my email lists on all of your emails and you're pulling them out of your spam trap because you love me and you want to help. So you saw this thing, obviously, where like, you know, I sent out the email. I'm like, hey, don't buy anything else off that list because it's become like this game, you know, at this point where I just seeing how far it can go. A $3,400 desktop, a $4,000 laptop, $2,000 TV, gone, gone, gone. Every upgradable part for every computer that I already have, gone, gone. Another desktop, another laptop, top-notch video card, mid-range video cards, gone, gone, gone. And then, like, I'm starting to, I'm like, this, there's no way that this is happening. 
and I get my confirmation of this shortly after. So like some weird account with like a furry as his avatar sends me a message on Telegram and he's like, LOL, F you, you know, you get the idea. Uh, just pretend I said the words because, you know, this is surreal politics, of course. Um, in any case, it's it's hardly, you know, unheard of for like random idiots to say nasty things to me on the Internet. So I just I just block the guy and I keep it moving. I don't associate him with, you know, this thing that's happening on Amazon. Then I get another message from a more mundane account with the most common name imaginable. And he's Joe Smith. And Joe Smith has no profile picture. And he just says, I'm effing up your your wish list. Which at first I take to mean that, you know, he's the guy buying all my stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, this is my new millionaire friend. And I'm looking forward to getting to know him better, of course. And so, but Joe promptly deletes his own message and never reads my replies. And I think, well, you know, that's very unusual that you're like, hey, I'm the guy who's just, you know, spent all these thousands of dollars. And then you're like, but, you know, why would I read what you have to say? You're not, you're not interesting enough to. <laughs> read a text message from <laughs> okay and then like these like more of these you know these furry accounts they start showing up in the in the group chat on telegram and making commentary about the wish list being empty and you know they say like oh what happened and i'm like well you know either i've got some wealthy benefactor or i'm about to get an email from amazon about credit card fraud and he says i think you're about to get an email about credit card fraud prepare your anus which I do not at all presume to be like a supportive message, you might have gathered. And then, like, I realize um, that these guys seem to have a lot in common, like in the mat in their mannerisms and whatever their you know iconography with this NAFO outfit that got me banned from Twitter. Now, I don't I don't actually remember like if I've talked about NAFO on here or or if all of you have heard it, but NAFO is a is a is an acronym. It stands for North Atlantic Fellas Organization. It's a play on NATO, as you might have gathered. And they purport to be like grassroots online trolls supporting Ukraine, which obviously means they're a function of the SBU, which is Ukraine's intelligence agency, and whatever, you know, allied intelligence agencies are working with them on this silly project. And I'm like, well, damn, because, you know, the amount of crap purchased from this list, it now exceeds, you know, $20,000. And I'm thinking like, you know, this is going to get me a visit from the FBI and come to think about it, you know, like <laughs> it would not be beneath the dignity of the FBI to create exactly such a scenario for that exact purpose. You know, like, oh, I want to talk to Christopher Campbell. What should, what should we do? Let's have the Ukrainians do like a bunch of credit card fraud. and We'll go ask him about that, you know, I don't think that would be beneath the dignity of the FBI at all, you know. And so now you know what I was rattled about. But, you know, it's like a CYA measure. You know, I, I fired off an email to my PO, which I think I've told you, like, like, I have a really good rapport with him. And just as an aside, like, he actually just told me that I'm getting a new PO. and I'm kind of upset about that. That's just a thing going on in my life. It's not a central theme of what we're doing here. He just informed me that he got a promotion. He's done such a good job of, you know, keeping me from, you know, murdering, you know, vulnerable demographics or whatever. They just had to give him a promotion, I guess. Um, anyway, so like I have this rapport with him and I'm like, hey, you know, I have no way of knowing, you know, what purchases were real or which were fake, if any of them. But like, I think some of these things were fake. And like, I want to get ahead of this because I'm, I'm getting the idea that like, I'm going to get a visit from the FBI over this and I'm not going to want to talk to them. 
because I don't trust them. But, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. And so, you know, I'll take your guidance if you help me navigate this thing. I also went to Amazon. I was like, hey, Amazon, you know, customer service. I said, I, I, I've been doing this wish list thing for, you know, years, over a decade. And I've never had, you know, my stuff get bought this fast. And so, you know, just make sure you might want to double check if any of these purchases are fraudulent or whatever. And they're like, okay, you know, thanks for letting us know. You don't need to worry about this anymore. And I say, okay, you know, easy for you to say, easy to, you know, don't worry about it. Yeah, you got it, pal. I'll just stop worrying. But now, you know, I got it in my head that, like, I've got an intelligence agency doing one of two things, right? Either they're using stolen credit cards to try to get me jammed up, or they're, like, spending 20 grand to, you know, send me toys while insulting me just to mess with my head. And one of these is, like, not necessarily better than the other one, if you think about it. But, you know, whatever. I'm like, I better just get to work. And so I go and I start reading the news. And, like, the first thing that I see is the FBI is a story the FBI was like asking social media companies to take down um, social media posts and accounts at the behest of Ukraine's SBU, their intelligence agency, which is exactly what just happened to me. Like I just got back onto Twitter after this exact thing occurred. And this, you know, started basically the, the story that I'm talking about now is, you know, this started happening like basically immediately after, you know, Russian troops crossed over into Ukraine, over into the over the Ukraine border. Right. Which, you know, tells you that this probably didn't this probably wasn't spontaneous. Right. They weren't like, hey, I got an idea. Like after the, the after the war starts like this is they were working, they, you know, they're acting on a plan. This is probably something they've coordinated on before. You know, they more than likely enacted some plan that was already in place and, you know, I think was in place, you know, well prior to me losing Internet access in 2020, matter of fact. Because one of the things that bothered me so much about, like, what happened before I lost Internet access was, like, these guys who were messing with me, like, spent a lot of money on that project. They invested time and resources into it that could not possibly have been done if they were, you know, who they were pretending to be, like regular guys with jobs and families, they, they cannot spend 24 hours a day, you know, making it their full time job to harass some podcaster. And, and they like they can't spend thousands of dollars on it, even if they wanted to do that. And more importantly, they would not want to do that, which means the whole thing is obviously fake. And somebody is paying like a team of people to work around the clock for months to mess with your homo correspondent. You know, that's not movement drama. That's intelligence agencies with limitless resources pursuing a goal that they deem more worthy of that investment than all of the possible alternatives. And since I didn't consider myself to be quite so significant as that, this, you know, really bothered me. Like, they must know something that I don't know. They must, you know, have the idea in their head that I'm more important than I believe myself to be. And it would appear to be the case that they still do. And so I guess I'm just, I, I should just be happy to take the compliment, but it's, it's you know, it's going to take a little more than, you know, $20,000 worth of free stuff or a couple of questions about a crime I didn't commit to scare me away. So we'll just continue. And before I do continue, let me just, uh, I'll say hello in here. And like, if anybody wants to chime in, I got, I, 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 I'm going to talk, Matt asked if I had yet explained why I was late last week. Uh, I'll briefly just say that, you know, like I had stayed up all night sort of preparing the thing that I'm about to do now. And then after staying up all night to prepare that thing, I got the news that like Matt Hale's mother died, this guy that I was in prison with. 
And this like then I was like I was totally depleted from this. And then like I couldn't go to sleep anyway. Then I tried to take like a two hour nap before the show. And it kind of just like didn't work out that way. I had set an alarm. I woke up to my alarm and I was like, yep, I'm up. And then it uh, it didn't take. And so Pat called me, you know, like I guess I was probably an hour late, like 20, 40 minutes into uh, you guys sitting here waiting. Pat called me and I was like, oh, my God, I got to get together and get it, you know, get in there. And I came on after that, but I, I gather that I missed some of you. And so I'm very sorry about that. Um, but in a sense, it kind of worked out because the thing that I'm about to do, like, was good. I think it was good then. But I've actually I, 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 I've had a lot of chance to sort of think about this, you know, idea that I was working on. I've added to this substantially. And so I'm going to get into that in a minute. But before I get into the the, the thing that I was going to do last week, I'll uh, I'll open it up. If anybody wants to chime in, I'll, I'll take your thoughts. So I want to talk about this story um, that took place in San Diego. There's Marine barracks in San Diego. They found out there was this 14-year-old girl who was essentially uh, sex trafficked. She was brought to the barracks. She was able to get into the barracks without showing ID. And, there's, you know, you don't get your own little bunk bed by yourself. You're there with, like, four other guys. So, essentially... The guy was raping her and he was selling her, pimping her out to the other guys, Eric's as well. And I'm guessing that everybody on that base was kind of involved in that thing because how do you have a, a girl there for like, I think it was two days and like not everybody on that base didn't know about her. So I think like everybody was involved in the trafficking and like passing her around. And I think this is going to be more common in America. This is going to be like a, a pattern that's going to come more like in Pakistan and in India. It's pretty common for like these type of uh, sex trafficking groups to go on with the military, you know, uh, that yeah, type I, of thing. This is the first there. time I'm hearing about it. Let me just, I've got the story pulled up at military.com and I understand that, you know, maybe military.com might, you know, um, uh, uh, not want to uh, make the most negative portrayal of the military, but let's just see, you know, what military.com has to say about it real quick. Investigative documents reviewed by military.com are giving more insight into the timeline and events that led to a 14-year-old girl who was missing for weeks being discovered in the barracks, in the barracks room of a junior Marine at a California base. While the young girl at the heart of the story went missing in early June, federal investigators concluded that she had been at Camp Pendleton for only about 24 hours and appeared to have met the Marine whose barracks room she would come to stay in just a day prior. The documents also show that investigators have begun to look into the claims that the girl was a victim of human trafficking. So far, investigators are reporting that the Naval Criminal Investigative uh, Services which is being aided by uh, several other agencies, has been unable to find any corroborating evidence to back up those claims. The documents seen by Military.com say that when agents first interviewed the Marine and the victim, both said they met on the dating app Tinder where the girl used a different name and claimed to be 22. The Marine told investigators the connection happened on June 26, the day before he would help drive her onto Camp Pendleton, and admitted to having a sexual contact with the girl in his barracks room. The investigative documents also note that the Marine allowed agents to have all the data from his cell phone, including later messages in which the victim admitted to lying to the Marine about her age. 
Captain Charles Palmer, a spokesman for the uh, First Marine Logistics Group, confirmed to Military.com that a Marine with Combat Logistics Battalion 5 First Marine Logistics Group was taken into custody for questioning by NCIS on June 28th. The Marine was questioned by NCIS and released to his command pending further investigation, Palmer said, adding that the Marine was not kept overnight. Jeff Houston, a spokesman for the NCIS, told Military.com that no charges have been filed so far and no arrests have been made in connection with this case. Now, let me just check the date on this. This is yesterday. This is July 11th. And so, um, you know, I'm not I don't think I'm going to read this whole thing because I, I think that they are uh, describing a scenario that sounds in some contrast to what you're describing. I'm not I'm not hearing that this girl was, you know, coerced in any way she you know met some guy on a dating app and lied about her age and there's nothing about her being passed around or are uh, you citing another source yeah i'm getting to information from her aunt her aunt has been going on tiktok and making videos about what's going on so someone someone like claiming to be somebody claiming to be the the aunt of this of this 14 year old girl who was at the barracks says oh my niece was there and she was raped and passed around yeah, she's accusing the military of uh, covering up what's going on there. Well, that's interesting. And so you say this is going to become more common, is your is your theory? Yeah, I think because they're having issues recruiting into the military, so they're lowering standards. And the type of people that are going to be joining the military are going to be people like that Marine that was being accused of doing whatever he was doing with that girl. I guess we'll see. I mean, I'm not surprised that um, uh, a lowering of the standards will result in more, you know, bad conduct. You know, it, what I seem to see here, and I mean, maybe we'll, uh, maybe, the, maybe the ant on TikTok is right. I mean, you know, it doesn't, I don't get the impression that the military is like covering up for rapists. I, I'm not under the impression that that happens. As a matter of fact, I think all the incentives in the military, you know, especially if we find out this guy was white, you know, um, I think all the incentives in the military are like, oh, we've got to like look like we're prosecuting, you know, like nonsense, you know, allegations of, you know, sex offenses. Right. I mean, like that's that's I, was, I don't know if that's still going on, but that that was certainly going on for like some period of time that, you know, I was reading about this all the time that they're like so it's like a left wing mission to like destroy the U.S. military that that they were like, you know, they're calling it a, a you know, a rape culture and stuff like that and all the. You know, all the bureaucracy was sort of geared around, you know, creating that, you know, or supporting that that myth that, you know, that that the the military is fundamentally an evil institution. And that was sort of part of the project, you know, so I, it seems it I it's hard for me to believe that the military is covering up, a, you know, some kind of, you know, gang rape. I, I have a hard time believing that. But, you know, I guess we'll see. Well, Ryan Dawson does have um, good investigative reporting on what's going on in Japan at the military bases there. And the American military covers up rapes that go on there on it. It's like standard operating procedure for there in overseas bases, according to Ryan Dawson. He is a journalist. Well, I mean, you know, Ryan Dawson can say that it's standard operating procedure, but I, I would go so far as to say that standard operating procedure is documented, okay? Like, that's what defines, you know, standard operating procedure. And if you're—and and I'm and I'm reasonably confident that, like, the documents don't say, hey, 
you know, let's rape these broads and hide it. I, I'm reasonably confident that the standard operating procedure says something other than that. And so, like, you know, they might be doing this frequently enough that you might nickname it that. I don't know, you know. But uh, the the standard operating procedure is definitely, like, not to cover up rape. That's definitely not, you know, what they're doing if they're following the rules as they're written. And, of course, when you don't follow the rules as they're written, you know, the military, you can get, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like violating the law out here. You know, you get a lot of trouble. And so, you know, this is a situation. I mean, this guy's describing a situation where the girl admits to lying about her age. And he's like, okay, you know, I met a girl on an app. She says she's 22. I take her back to my barracks and, uh, you know, I, I do what I do what Tinder is designed for. And then I find out that she's 14 years old. And then, and then she leaves. And then... Uh, you know, and then I'm looking at this and then I'm looking at this category problem. Uh, now, you know, I don't know what the aunt's up to, but, you know, that's that's my take on it in any case. And I don't know that we're going to get uh, I don't know that we're going to get much yeah, further than that. I don't I don't like, I don't I don't so. doubt I, like I don't doubt that the military's lowering standard and that's re- resulting in, you know, lousy conduct. It's just at least at least the you know, the description at military dot com. Granted, it's from military dot com, but it seems to me that they're citing court documents and that this guy hasn't been charged and that you know this is happening now you know i i don't know about that seems to me a better source of information than some woman on tiktok because tiktok you know tiktok is uh you know you've i've seen this channel called libs of tiktok and they they tell you what happens at tiktok that's not it's not generally considered the most you know reliable source of information but i think your general point is you know it's not lost on me. You lower standards, you get, you know, lower types, you know. And so that's probably going to be the case. But if if what you're saying is that there's going to be more of this type of thing and this type of thing is, you know, a guy met a girl on a dating app, I would say that, you know, that's not really necessarily the result of lowering standards. That's a result of men in the military going out and trying to bang thoughts. Um, You know, if I could jump in, I, I've been sort of noticing that with a lot of feminists, there's this, um, you know, there's this anti-white attitude. And I actually wonder if that's going to change because, um, you know, maybe maybe when America was 90% white, it might make sense that maybe 50% or more of the rapists could have been white. I don't know if it, the math works out, but now it's down to 60%. And I think as America becomes less and less white, more and more of the men perpetrating these crimes will be darker skinned. And I do sort of wonder if we will start to see a, um, I I don't know, maybe like a a white nationalist um, alliance with, (laughs) shall we say, um, these feminists or something. It's a little bit far-fetched, but I wouldn't rule it out. I I think that what you're saying is not, completely nuts uh, you already see the feminists like you you already see it happening because of the transgender thing right that they're like you you have like lesbians going and speaking at the heritage foundation against transgenderism right you you know you have uh you know T- T- tammy bruce i call her lesbian hannity right you know the independent women's foundation these these types of things so it's like you know you're already seeing this happen with other like categories of thing where they're like hey you know, I was a feminist not because I was a communist whack job trying to destroy the country and, and decrease the fertility and, and stop us from reproducing. I was a feminist because I was interested in the well-being of women. And if I'm interested in the well-being of women, then, well, you know, 
having them surrounded by subhuman predators is probably not a good way to go about pursuing that. And so uh, uh, they 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 would probably be able to come about that. NJ in the chat says, I have to follow the link from the email to get into the chat, by the way. So um, I should probably try to make that link more prominently featured on the site. Like, I mean, you guys are all here now. If you're if you if you ever need to get into this chat without the email handy, like there's like uh, in the top right of the website, I don't part of my problem is I do everything on a desktop and I don't and like the mobile thing is like a an afterthought to me. But if you let me show you something, actually, I'll do this real quick. Um, my sites and I'll pull Surreal Politiques up. This is not going to be particularly helpful to you guys who are um on uh, on mobile devices, but it'll help you sort of approximate. I think. Okay, so like what you see up here, member features, uh, and one of those is member chat. Okay, now on your cell phone, I don't know exactly. Uh, but, but you see this thing here, this little, what they call, they call this a hamburger. And so like that, that little hamburger should be on your, you should be able to see that thing. Oh, you know what? I should probably, I know what I'm doing wrong. You guys can't see that because it's just a little window and I'm going to fix that right now. Hang on. Uh, let me do this this way. And that's probably a lot easier for you guys in the, in the member chat to see. And so up here, member features you, when you mouse over that, then like this, this, this drop down menu comes um and on your cell phone you may either have to tap menu features or you may first have to tap this little what they call a hamburger okay and then when you tap the they when you tap that little hamburger then the menu comes up and then you should see you know member features as a matter of fact let me just do this on my on my cell phone while i have you guys you guys won't be able to uh maybe i could show you it but i i understand that this is not sharing this screen with you okay so like let me try to do this um if i i'm gonna stop the screen sharing and then i'm gonna go back over here this little hamburger thing is what you need to do okay now that's probably i don't anyway uh i will publish I'll I'll try to make that link more salient on the website so that you guys can find it easier. I appreciate the feedback in any case. And so, um, yeah, I think what Matt said is probably, the, you know, there's probably some amount of that already going on. And and I think that in anticipation of this, sort of like the, the left-wing fanatics, sort of like they have this thing against white feminism. You see this at some of these demonstrations, white feminism or... You know, they, they complain about white feminism and and they want, you know, w- white women to jump on board and be like, yeah, white feminism is terrible, you know, uh, because they anticipate, I think, uh, to some extent, uh, what you're articulating, man. I, I think that uh, I think you've I think you're onto something. Yeah. You know, also an interesting topic I found out about recently is what's called biphobia or bi erasure in the homosexual community. Um so I think this is particularly strong among the, shall we say, monosexual lesbians, where it's rather common that they hate the bisexual lesbians, and they call them biheads. And basically, um, it's like they're bisexual, but they're presumed to be mainly heterosexual. And 
I, I don't know exactly what this is about. I, I suppose maybe it's like the monosexual lesbians get their heart broken because the, the bisexual girl all, always seems to end up with the, um, with the man or whatever. But it's just really interesting how this, um, how this community, when they get together, um, you know, for, for the media, it's like they're all one group. And then, uh, you know, as soon as the uh, as soon as that's over, it seems like they're, they go back to being these these many smaller, uh, very fractured groups. Yeah, I, I think that um, the LGBTP, you know, movement is kind of a silly thing. And and what you talk about the uh, the the bi erasure or whatever, that's a real. That's definitely a real thing. Like they don't. They like they look at it like um, they look at bisexual people the way we what the way ethno nationalists look at civic nationalists, right? They're like this is non-committal, right? Um, it, it, that's probably not a perfect analogy, but I mean, there's 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 an approximation there. I think is is a fair comparison that like th- they they are like, wait a second, what do you mean you're still capable of, you know, having reproductive sex? We're trying to exterminate mankind here. And like that that's how that part of the agenda, I think, emerges in some in some degree that they, they are um, they're 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 saying for one, like you're not you're not actually in the club. Like we're happy to tolerate you while you while you completely convert or whatever. But they're fundamentally like you, you have to come over all the way over here. And the other part of it is it exposes like the anti-human nature of it that they're like, well, you know, no, the whole entire point of this is to like to to swear off reproductive sex so as to like not have human beings anymore. And you're, you being like switch hitting is, you know, not conducive to that mission. We're happy for like the guys to like, you know, go sneak around at night and then go, you know, give HIV to women or whatever. But, you know. You know, at some point, you've just got to you've just got to commit. And I think that's the way they they fundamentally look at it. Who's uh, you're right right on that. This is pretty funny. Who's got like is the is the FBI in here? I hear walkie talkies. What the heck's going on? (laughs) All right. Well, I don't know. It might be the shitty mic on my phone. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. What's, uh, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing all right. I was just saying, um, now you're absolutely right about the whole, uh, perception of noncommittal and things like that. People, uh, like they, they view it as, um, how to put it like, uh, oh, you've got one foot in the door basically just to kind of claim the status, but you're not actually wholly on board, just as you said. Right. You, you like it, like you can and, and you can actually and, and especially since there are benefits to being in the LGBTP community. Right. Like you get like special rewards for being a, a sexual minority now, like back back when back when they thought that when back when they could credibly claim that they were not being treated as good as everybody else. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, bisexual people, you're you're one of us. Totally. You know, and now they're like, well, wait a second. Like th- now this is like. This is the privileged club. Like you can't come around and like claim the benefits. What are you talking about? Like, 
you know, it was one thing when all we had to offer was struggle. And now we're like, we're like the in crowd. And now you just go around telling people that you're queer and, and yet you're having sex with people of the opposite sex. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean queer? Like, you're just weird. Like, no, you don't get to, you don't get to like sue people for discrimination on the basis of that. You people are crazy. Like we're getting more and more extreme by the day. We're cutting off our boobs and our balls and, and you're over there just like, living it up having babies talking about yeah i'm queer i want to be you and like no as a matter of fact it doesn't work that way <laughs> yeah so long as you're not being a antisocial degenerate and everything they will uh like they will uh absolutely ostracize well they even like you know you, you see this sometimes like that they get they get really mad at like straight homos i'm sorry uh, not straight like um homosexual men right like the, homosexual white men have become one of their targets, right? That like they don't like gayberhoods where like, you know, two white men with an income start gentrifying the place. This is, you know, just just a little bit more white supremacy or whatever. And they really, really, really don't like that. Um let's see here. Um oh the what the you guys okay. As a matter of fact, that's something that I can probably fix real quick. I'm sorry. And so somebody informs me of a thing, and that thing I actually can fix very quickly. Thank you. Um, thank you, Mad Philosopher, for informing me of this problem. So you guys are, uh, I imagine most of you have your, your chat window maximized so as to see this, and I'm realizing, I'm being informed that the, I stream the video both to Odyssey and to like a player on the site, and the player on the site the members only player on the site is currently not working. And I know why that is because I was troubleshooting something else and I can go and fix that. Uh, you're talking about on surreal politics, politics.com. I'm not having that problem. The, um, uh, I'm, you might not be aware of what I'm talking about because it definitely wasn't working. Um, and so what I have just done is activated the plugin that functions that, um, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the player was definitely wasn't working. And so I think I just fixed that. And so thank you, Mad Philosopher, for informing me of that. Let me tell him that he can refresh the page. Refresh. It's fixed. All right. So anyway, so now there's like a, there's a video player is supposed to be right above the chat is what's going on. That, that I set that up a, a few weeks ago and between the last chat and this one, I was troubleshooting another problem and I disabled the, the plugin that operates that video player, but that problem should be fixed now. Not that I'm going to check it because that would require me to leave the chat. And so anybody else? Uh, I just had one question. I, I was, uh, I'm late and I missed what the, uh, you said you're rattled by something and I, I missed the beginning. So I just wanted to catch up. On so the I'll just I, very quickly, I'll, I'll just point out, uh, I, I kind of spent some time on this. You could listen to the replay, but real quick, I'll say that like somebody basically, a bunch of people who were not trying to help me like bought everything on my Amazon wish list and either spent a lot of money or did a bunch of credit card fraud to do that. And I, and like they came in and like informed me that they, you know, did not like me, but were making all of these purchases, which, you know, I figure is either going to get me a, you know, a visit from the FBI or at the very least, you know, screw up my opportunity to use the Amazon wish list feature, um, which is kind of a, which is kind of an inconvenience, but 
um, for the details of that, I'll invite you to listen to the replay because I, I can't reiterate it for, with everybody else here. So um, let's see here. Why, why did this chat all the way up there? Okay, anyway. So um, why don't I go ahead and get into this thing, this other thing that I got here for you. Anybody else before I do? Uh, bring up another topic. Go ahead. So the country of Tunisia is actually facing a huge uh, migrant problem of, of sub-Saharan Africans. And I was watching this on Al Jazeera. Apparently, the uh, president of Tunisia made a comment that all these migrants are going to destroy the Arab nature of his country. And he wants them out. So the World Bank sanctioned the country. The European Union is also sanctioning them. And they're just essentially taking them and kicking them out back to the desert, middle of the desert near the Libyan border. And I think this is kind of ironic in a way because you have North Africans rioting in France. At the same time, you have like North African countries experiencing uh, a migrant crisis uh, from south of the border because not all of those people will end up in Europe. A lot of them will end up in North Africa, just as so many of them. So maybe France will get the last laugh with this one. Perhaps they will. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that um, within the racial hierarchy, the, you know, the North Africans perceive themselves to be, um, to perceive themselves with, and not without a degree of merit, I'll say, uh, to be of a higher caliber than the sub-Saharan Africans. And they're like, hey, wait a second, you know, we're over trying to take over Europe. That doesn't mean that you can go take over our countries, you you N-words. We're not going to let you do that. And they don't they don't even care if you call them racist. They're like, yeah, of course, whatever. Like, you know, I, I, that, that's probably not true. I mean, I, I know that, like, I've spoken to, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to get into Muslims and race, but uh, uh, I guess that there are, shall we say, differences of opinion in the Muslim world as to the 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 uh, the salience of race. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, and so I'm going to uh, I'm going to go on to the subject now. So last week, you know, before I found out about Matt Hale's mother, you know, I had sent out this email. I told you about this that like I had occasion to contemplate beauty for some time. And this was like several hours that this had gone on. And what happened was I, I, I ended up like been watching these videos by this female violinist by the name of Lindsay Sterling. And it turned out, I, I went and I checked my MP3 collection. It turns out I actually have her discography up to like 2017, but I, I, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of music because I'm usually trying to do other things. And like music consumes me. Like I, I can't, I can't listen to music and read the news. Like I can't do stuff like that. I, you know, um, so for, as far as I was concerned, like I was seeing and hearing and, you know, this beautiful and amazingly talented woman for the first time that night. And so after watching these videos, like I started to compose a lot of what I'm about to say. And I was, I was actually very proud of what I had put together because I had sort of poured my heart into it. <clears throat> And I'm not complaining to tell you that when I do that, like that can actually take a great deal out of me. Um, I can get into like something of an emotional feedback loop where I'm I'm having this intense like emotional experience. And then to translate that into text while it is underway causes me to think about it more deeply. And then that 
will cause me to realize things about the experience that I didn't realize. And then, you know, creates this whole new sort of feedback loop. And then I'm thinking about thinking about it and I'm thinking about writing about it. And I'm thinking about the impact this is going to have on other people. And, you know, there are, shall we say, like power, feelings of like power and, I don't know, guilt involved in that. And they all have their own complicated implications. Suffice as it say, though, like I spend most of my life um, something of an aspiring psychopath, you know, um, I tend to think that getting like emotionally wrapped up in things is a hindrance to clear thinking and purposeful action. Um, it may be useful to the extent that it inspires creativity and it can be a powerful motivator. But for me, like those emotional feedback loops, they can be they can be a lot like doing drugs, actually. Even when, you know, perhaps especially when those uh, those things that I'm, you know, I'm getting consumed in, they're not happy emotions, actually. And I get totally carried away and I find myself tempted to, like, dwell in things. And I have to try to manage this and be like, okay, it's time to stop. Right. And that is what I had done about 4000 words into this thing that I was typing up last Wednesday morning. um, That is uh, comprises the bulk of what I'm about to get into. I had stopped doing this at basically like 11 a.m. on last Wednesday. And then as I was about to uh, call it a night and go to sleep, I, I get this email and I decide to check my email before I go to bed. And I find out that Matt Hale's mother died. And um, when that happened, like, you know, in the state that I was in after doing this thing, like this was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. Um, because that that was all the more significant because actually like. I, I thought about Matt Hale in the course of what it was that I was producing. Um, we'll discuss in greater detail. Like I realized that I was so intensely appreciating the beauty of what I was seeing with this violinist in some part, because like I hadn't had a great deal of beauty to appreciate for the last, you know, three plus years while I was in prison. And, and even after I got out, I've been very busy, you know, um, I feel really, really terrible for Matt Hale because, you know, even beyond the fact that he has to do basically a year for every month that I had to do, um, I think that his general disposition, like, makes prison an even more awful experience for him, you know, in kind of like a lot of ways. And like he, you know, the, Matt Hale always disagreed with me when I would there I could never summarize the World Church of the Creator to his satisfaction. And like he doesn't like it when I say nature worship or whatever, but. You know, were it not for his, you know, dissatisfaction with that, like, I might do this. And, for example, like, he had, um, like, he just appreciates nature in a very profound way. Like, I recall he had this, like, somebody sent him a book with, like, high-resolution pictures of frogs. And he was just, like, so excited to show me this thing, you know? And... I remember like seeing the joy on his face when he's, you know, watching this. He'd be like, uh, see like a ladybug in the yard. And this would like make his day. Look, it's a ladybug, you know. And so I'm actually going to skip a whole bunch of this. I don't need to go into all this. And we've, we've been going for a little while. Yeah. Um, and this was very relevant to me as like I started to, um, compose what I was putting together last Wednesday because like I, I realized that my contemplation of beauty in this in this realm really hadn't started as a consequence of the of the violinist. I had actually 
when I was putting together the the prior Monday's show, um, the the episode sixteen titled "Sustained Action," and I was sort of like I I was sort of pitching New Hampshire. It's like a place to have a political migration, right? And in the course of this, I had looked for you know some cover art for the show, which I had hoped would sort of you know capture the beauty of New Hampshire. And this is no small task, as you may know if you've ever been here, especially in the fall. Uh, I grew up in New York, as you know, and there's lots there's lots of beautiful things in New York. I mean, it, it, if you can stop for two seconds to take a look at them, you know, some of them can actually be very impressive. But if you, you know, like in New York, it's not the custom to stop for two seconds. So, you know, they often go unseen. Or, you know, maybe you do stop for two seconds and you find that it, you know, it stinks of urine or has been turned into a homeless encampment and everything's being destroyed. So you end up missing a lot of the beauty that New York does have to offer. So when I come to New Hampshire for the first time, I had drove here with a friend of mine to come to this thing, the, the Porcupine Freedom Festival with the Free State Project. And we had driven, uh, we had driven all the way nonstop clear from Long Island to Lancaster. And that was the longest car trip, I think, that is certainly the longest car trip I had taken as an adult. Uh, and I was just like, I was just stunned at what I saw on the way up here. You, you, like, you don't, you don't have the choice of missing the beauty on a long car ride like that. There were mountains and lakes and animals and fields. And like, you could see some of these things in New York, especially in the northern portions. But I was like, I was just so stunned at like the, these vast expanses and beautiful scenes that I was seeing. And, uh, you know, there's there's like entire lengths of the of the interstate highway system up here that that are just like carved through mountains. Right. And at the time, I thought I thought that this was pretty cool because, like, I didn't see anything. I didn't recall seeing anything like this anyway. You know, not on such a scale in New York. You know, there's shorter areas. But, you know, you look at this like entire length of highway just carved through a mountain. I'm like, you know, the function of it, I thought, was like a, a very it was a powerful symbol of it was a symbol of power. Human beings came here and was like, this mountain's in my way. I will destroy it. And, you know, and they destroyed it. And, you know, I got to drive a car through it. I thought that was pretty cool. Destroy is probably the wrong word, actually. Like the stone walls around us, they had these, you know, they had these grooves in them. You know, that indicated that it had not been simply blown up. This was a precision work. And, you know, precision is very it's very impressive when you're when you're dealing with powerful forces like that. You know, any idiot can light a fuse or swing a hammer, though some better than others, to be sure. But like it's one sort of power to destroy a thing. And it is, you know, quite another sort of power to make of it what one will, especially when you're talking about a, a mountain. So anyway, we get to the campground and, you know, there were some very nice views, but the campground itself was very unimpressive. And so were many of the people there, especially in the subsequent years that I went back. You know, there, there, there was quite a lot of high pitched whining, as a matter of fact. And the first time I went there, you know, I was I was drunk, you know, most of the time. So I didn't then mind that, you know, so few people were sober. But in hindsight, especially ever after I went there, you know, sober um, in a subsequent year. I kind of like it occurred to me that that was a large part of the problem. And I've recently, as some of you know, like I've been sorting through um, uh, all my old data. I've had like photos and videos and audio like scattered over phones and SD cards and thumb drives and hard drives all over the place. And I've consolidated all of this and I'm sort of like sorting through it and just deleting duplicates and whatnot. And, you know, as I as I go through it, I'm looking at some of these old photos. I'm like, wow, you know. 
I recently saw some very unimpressive photos of your humble correspondent. And like, I know, um, I know that uh, a lot of that was like from my, my drinking back then, which, you know, is pretty ugly, frankly. And like, I was, I was fat, right? Like visibly and not just like that. It, it wasn't just that like my drinking made my attitude poor, but like I was ugly. I was not just like a protruding belly or like a, a, a an extra notch in my belt, but like my face was fat. And every time I see that face, I'm like, I want to punch it. But anyway, like I go, I go back to, uh, I go back to New York when the thing is over and I, and I start thinking like, maybe, maybe I should move to New Hampshire and, you know, abolish their government or whatever. Like just like, I'll show up and I'll be like, Hey mountain, get out of my way. And, and you know, kind of like expect that to work. Um, is somebody expressing that there's a problem with Odyssey? What's the Telegram link? You can DM it to me instead of on here. Everything okay? Okay, this is not that. Okay. Uh, when I get to New York, uh, at some point when I'm living in New York, I go to I try to buy a gun, and uh, and I get turned down for this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I, you know, back then I wasn't a convicted felon. I thought that's the only thing that would like prevent you from buying a gun. But like, it turned out I had like a misdemeanor weapons charge when I was a kid. Like, I called it a stun gun when I was like 19. And they said, because my misdemeanor weapons charge was what New York considered a serious crime, unlike punching an old lady in the face, which is actually not like that's just a misdemeanor. It's not a serious crime to just go punch an old lady in the face. That's a simple assault. And, you know, violence is OK. So but I couldn't buy a gun in New York. I was like, what the heck happened here? And so I was like, wow, you know, disarm, disarming me this is what Hitler did to the Jews. And I was like, I've got to I've got to flee New York. And so I moved here to New Hampshire in 2012 on account of that. And, you know, the government, you know, it hasn't been abolished yet. Uh, I've actually become sort of fond of the institution, as it turns out. And so when I got here, I, I lived I lived in the suburbs of Keene, New Hampshire. And Keene is a nice place. It's like it's a quaint little town with quaint, nice things to look at. But when we would go to the uh, to the state house, the legislature in Concord to go testify before legislative committees, that involves an hour, like a, a drive about an hour or so to and from Concord, the, the, the state capital. And I don't usually like to be I don't usually like to be the passenger in a car. I, I, I'm a control freak. I need to be in control of everything. Um, and. I took these rides with the other activists or whatever. And a lot of time I'd be the passenger in the car. And that was one time I didn't mind it. Like to go drive to Concord, I was like, oh, I'll just stare out the window at like all the beauty of this place. And it was stunning to me. Like I, I just, I, I fell in love with this place doing that. And so when I'm trying to make this pitch to like get people to consider, you know, moving here and taking over rather than abolishing the government, I'm, I, I start looking through you know, like stock photos through some free services and some ser and a service that I pay for, trying to find a picture that sort of captures this beauty that I fell in love with in 2012. And while a picture can be worth a thousand words, it is not worth an inch of New Hampshire. So like it was not easy to find a suitable photograph to capture what I aimed to capture. But even even at that, like I was still like I realized that I was really stunned by what I was looking at. And I was really like I was kind of bent out of shape about it. I, I was I was like taken by the experience of looking at these photos of New Hampshire. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, why? Why? Like, why would a picture of New Hampshire get my heart rate up? You know. 
And then it occurred to me while I was doing this that like I have not like my life has had a staggering lack of beauty in it for the last few years. And and this is what was like incre- this was increasing the emotional load of me, like looking at pictures of nature, you know. So I haven't, you know, even after I got out, like I haven't done anything like new, the place in New Hampshire where I live is garbage. OK, like like there's junkies in the park and like I and I, I hate like I've, I'm really, really mad when I leave this house. I see this stuff going on. I'm like, when I lived in Keene and would go and, you know, drive through the woods, I was thinking about moving to Berlin. Like, I used to seeing, like, either quaint little white suburbs or, like, beautiful, vast expanses of nature and mountains and stuff. And now I'm, like, in a city with blacks and drug addicts. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've destroyed my my place, you know. But anyway, so, you know, that stuff still exists in New Hampshire in any case. It's just it's not been my experience, and I haven't gotten to see it. I went straight from, you know, the drabness of prison to, you know, to this filth of the city. The county jail where I was held, we didn't go outside at all, okay? And that was—I didn't think that that was, like, constitutional until they did that to me in Virginia. To make matters worse, there's a problem that, like— before I arrived at this jail, like the windows at the Stratford County Correctional Facility in Dover, New Hampshire, they're very close to the street. OK. And so there was a problem that some of the degenerate prisoners in this place would like expose themselves to pedestrians as they walk by. And so what the jail did to solve this problem was they had somebody come in and spray this like acid crap on the outside of the windows, which made the windows all foggy. So that. So that, like, you couldn't see, you know, clearly what was out there. And sometimes I would, like, I would I would stand on a chair and I'd, like, peek out the top, like, seam of the window. Sometimes there was, like, a speck of space where you didn't have any of this crap, like, ruining your view. And I would almost, like, whimper to look at the trees when I, when I went through this. I went through this for, like, 14 months I was in that place. And people tell you when you're in jail that when you get to the federal prison, like your your life's actually going to improve a great deal. It's actually people are afraid to go to prison. They, they're like, you know, but actually prison, for the most part, will actually tend to improve your quality of life over jail. And so they tell you when you get to the federal prison, there's like a yard, you know, some yards are better than others, but you get to go outside basically whenever you want, other than, you know, some dedicated, you know, lockdown times like at night. But I didn't go to a regular part of the prison system, as you know. I went to this thing called the Communications Management Unit in Marion, Illinois, where, like, um, it, 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 it's a parking lot. It is no, it's not like I don't go out on grass. I go, in, I go from the concrete of the, of the inside of the prison to the concrete outside the prison. Um, and so, like, it's, there's, like, uh, whatever. I get into more details. Though. And also, like, so, like, there's this thing is basically maybe the size of a professional basketball, not not a stadium, but like the court. And there's three, you know, chain link cages within that small space that are about the size of like, you know, a, a half court to play basketball on or whatever. And um, and around it is, you know, concrete walls, three stories high. So like the sun's going away like bef- for us before it's going away for everybody else. And so when I got released. So the halfway house, after three years of this, um, you know, they told me I couldn't do my job there. And 
you know, most people, when they're at the halfway house, they get a job there and they sort of get themselves established before they're released. But I wasn't even allowed to like I couldn't talk to like a mainstream news outlet. They saw I said I wasn't allowed to talk to media. So, you know, I didn't do any of these things, but I was like, I'm not going to stay here. Get out of here. You know, get me out of here as soon as I'm not, you know, in the compulsory custody of the Bureau of Prisons. I'm walking out that front door. I don't care if I have to go to a homeless shelter. So I didn't have to do that thanks to, you know, thanks to you guys. And so with the charity supporters, I got into this, like, you know, this, this place that I rent now and, you know, I got to work right away and I'm very happy with how things, you know, have turned out for the most part, but I'm not, and I'm not complaining about it to describe the, the experience, but like, as I said, like this place is, I have not gotten to go out and explore the beauty of New Hampshire is the, is the short version of the story I just told you. So it really hadn't struck me until I began looking for these photos that like, you know, even though they were insufficient to convey what I wanted to convey, like they, they really like did this job on my eyes. Like I was like, whoa, you know, and it got me to thinking a lot about like perceptions, right? Like, like what the deprivation I had endured did to totally change my perception of these, these images that were like strikingly beautiful to me. And I could have, I could have almost ignored them before. I didn't realize until very recently, like how important that appreciation for beauty was. And like, I was really disturbed by this realization. And so as I was like looking at these photos, I thought of Matt Hale too. I'm like, Matt Hale loves like nature, like Matt Hale, a ladybug will make Matt Hale's day. And like, he hasn't seen anything like this in a very, very long time. And he's not going to see it for, you know, another 15 years or whatever. And if you think like the people at the Porcupine Freedom Festival were like not very beautiful, do some time in prison. This is not just like a, a thing of the eyes, but it's like all that can be observed about a person, not just the prisoners, but the staff. You know, one of the things that troubled me the most as I began to think of this was like the, the women who worked at the prison. Okay. So this is very relevant as I'm thinking about this violinist that the women that I saw at this prison, like they had been masculine, masculinized really. Like they wanted to, you know, earn the respect of their peers or whatever. So they had to, you know, be men basically. And, um, some of them like even chewed tobacco. Okay. And look, I love nicotine, and if any of you guys are chewers, whatever, with all due respect, like, I think that chewing tobacco is one of the most disgusting things that a man can do, short of, like, playing with fecal matter. And, like, the idea that, like, a woman is doing this is like, oh, my God, like, what the, what, or what? It's shocking to me to see that. And so, you know, a, a man in my position, like, he has to learn to, uh, uh, he has to think a lot about voices, let's say. And, you know, it's not it's not just my voice that, you know, I love the sound of. Like, I don't just take calls on the air and do these member chats because I think it will just please the audience or, you know, the more you talk, the less I have to, as I'm fond of saying. Um, I don't just like to talk. I like to listen, right? And when I listen, I I pay attention to words. Yeah, obviously, but I pay more attention to voices, actually which is why my audio troubles haunt me such as they do. Like, and, you know, in communicating people with men, tone conveys a lot. I mean, it's, it's obviously relevant, but I, like I tend to rely on the words that men say, and we can communicate near as easily via email as we can face-to-face. 
This is not the case with women at all, obviously. You know this. You know, I need, I need to see the contours of her face. I, I need to hear the tone of her voice. I feel like I would do a woman a very terrible disservice just to, like, take her words at face value and fail to interpret the other wealth of information that God gave her the gift of conveying with her eyes and her tone, obviously, right? Every man over 30 knows that he has lost the argument if he has to say to his lover, but honey, you said X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Ha ha, yes. Well, yes, young man. That's the words that she used, perhaps. But when you get to be my age, you'll understand, you know, that she told you everything you needed to know and you were not listening as a man learned to listen to a woman, sir. You, You are the one who needs to improve your communication skills, not her. And so I really like the sound of a woman's voice is kind of what I'm getting at here. And it was, you know, it has this amazing sort of duality in which it's both like mysterious and it's packed with information, right? It's like it's like a puzzle. I only had two phone calls a week while I was in Marion. And my love life, you may know, to some extent, that, like, I suffered this, like, series of, you know, romantic tragedies prior to my arrest. So, like, on, you know, even when I had my phone calls, I didn't get nearly enough of, like, what I love about a woman's voice, you know. But I did listen to the radio for more than news sometimes. And while we could not stream music like you can here, I did acquire an MP3 player and purchase a number of songs by very talented female vocalists like Adele and Ellie Goulding, and Kiara, Camilla Cabello, and Olivia O'Brien, Julia Michaels, Evanescence, and others. And, like, I would, I would, um, I would not listen to these artists while I did other things. Like, I mentioned earlier, like, music consumes me. I, I can't do other things on, with, like, music in the background. Say, perhaps, like, drive. I can drive with music in the background, but that's about it. So I like I would listen to these things all alone in my cell, concentrating like entirely on their voices. And, you know, this is like the closest I came to lovemaking for a number of years. I'm not complaining about that. I know it sounds like, it. you know, like, you know, firstly, I'm I'm actually describing like an, a very intensely enjoyable experience. You if and I couldn't have had it any other way. Like if you'd asked me like, hey, would you like to go to prison and appreciate women's voices very intensely? I'd have been like, no. As a matter of fact, that sounds like a very bad idea. I can appreciate women now. F off. I will avoid prison. But like, you know, while I was there, I was I was like rocked by this experience, you know, deprived of it and listening to it in this context. It was a completely different experience. And uh Oh, yeah, come on, stupid. I might also, uh, no, I'm going to skip that part, too. I'm sorry. I'll get to this. Like, I had not viewed pornography almost the entire time that I was locked up. They don't allow it in the federal prison system or in any of the jails that I was in uh, during this stint. The first time I was locked up in New York, like, there were porno magazines all over the place and like you could get porno magazines sent to you. Like they were like abundant, you know, but getting rid of that seems to be like one of the changes that has been very popular in like the nation nationwide correctional system along with, you know, getting rid of smoking or whatever. But the occasional racy image, like it'll find its way in there and it'll get around, you know, and like, 
some of you have heard me talk before that, you know, we had these Android tablets at the Stratford County Jail. And um, we we were some of us were able to figure out how to, like, subvert the limitations on the things. They, they were actually connected to the Internet. They just had very, you know, strict limitations of what you could do. And we found ways of getting around them in limited ways. And so some guys managed to like connect to like out, outside libraries and get books that were not approved by the jail. Now the, the library system that we were using had its own, you know, controls. You couldn't get a copy of mine comp, for example, but th- we managed to find like books in outside libraries that had uh, like pictures of women's breasts and stuff like that. And this was like the most, you know, exciting sexual imagery that that we had access to and then of course once i went to prison then i didn't have that because we don't have internet access on the tablets yet. and so um in a world flooded with hardcore porn like like these things would not have even raised an eyebrow right like i had used to have like porn hub like boom like some of you people made fun of me i sent out screenshots of my web browser a couple times people saw that like i had a porn hub in my bookmark bar and stuff. So I used to look, look at a lot of pornography. And so I didn't, re- I, I did not, you know, even, even at the county jail, I didn't fully appreciate what was going on. And, and I didn't really miss it by the time I got to the prison. And so anyway, I'm not, uh, I have, uh, I've not been all work and no play since I got home. I'm skipping around through this thing because some of the stuff I wrote was just too long and I'm, and I'm trying to get through this. And I apologize if that actually makes it worse because I'm losing track of what I'm saying here. I'm not all work and no play since I've been home. So I'm not complaining about that. I actually have been, um, I will uh, disclose, I have been blessed to know a woman's touch since I've been out. And I will say no more of it than that other than that she is not in my life because, you know, that would be impolite. But I will breach decorum uh, just one more time to say that I have viewed pornography more than once since I have been home. And like that has never bothered me so much in the past, but it bothers me a great deal today or it did in recent days. And, you know, that caused that impacted my reflections on beauty that I began last week you know, and my ability to appreciate it. Um. When I got home and I got in front of a computer, it didn't take me all that long to, you know, pull a Pornhub. And when I went to go look at it again, this was all like, it was like I was a kid again. You know, like I didn't, like from the, I I found my first dirty magazine when I was a preteen in in the eighties. Okay. So like, and I, I, I have not gone three years without pornography since that day. And so like to be without it for a long time was like, I had no idea how that was going to change my perceptions. I, I didn't think that it would that much. But when I got home and I looked at it, I was like, whoa, you know, that, I wasn't like, a fe- like it just like made, it was like, in, it was a more intense experience. I, I can't, I'm not even saying that I was like offended by it, but I was like, I was like the intensity of it was like off-putting to me. And uh, to the extent that I have, um, to the extent that I've had any ethical concerns about pornography in the past, it has tended to be because, like, I view its production, I, be, I view the production of pornography as exploitative of women, right? And, like, I've, and I mean this, I've literally, like, befriended a couple of prostitutes over the course of my life. This is not a confession to being their clients. I've, I've done that more straightforwardly elsewhere. Um, 
And I've also known a couple of girls who, you know, were fundamentally prostitutes, but they called themselves, you know, porn stars because they were, you know, somehow filming your prostitution makes it legal is the way the scheme works, right? Um, and like they, some of them, they would talk about how exciting their lives were and how easy the money was. And they thought that this was great. And I could see in their voices and hear in their eyes, and that's not an error, art, um, that they were very sad, no matter what they were saying to me. And that this arrangement was really like not in their long-term best interest or even their short-term best interest. The silly libertarian idea that consent makes right is easily disproven by this observation alone. These women, these girls, I should say, were getting ripped off, you know, like selling their youth and beauty and waning fertility at a what seemed to them to be like a high, you know, hourly rate because they were comparing it to what they could earn as a grocery store clerk. And they had no idea what they were selling. And, you know, the terribly high cost of it, I could hear in their voices. And so like months ago, I wrote like 30,000 words it's still sitting in my drafts folder for what was supposed to be Radical Agenda Stage 6, Episode 8. And this was the story of Kathy Reisenwitz, who that name may ring a bell to some of you. She's like this left-wing feminist activist. Excuse me a second. This left-wing feminist activist who was like thrust upon the libertarian scene by what was obviously some well-heeled benefactor and like, it seems he pulled the plug because, you know, she became a literal sex for cash prostitute and only fans cam girl with a Substack blog that like talked about all this, all the great reasons that, you know, prostitution should be legalized and other young girls should become hookers. Um, but she purported to know, you know, all of this from hard won experience. She's like, yeah, my life as a prostitute is wonderful. And, you know, here's how you should do it, young lady. And so I spent weeks. I, I actually signed up. I paid for access to the blog, $7. And uh, I actually let the thing renew. I ended up paying her 14 bucks, which is kind of a funny number. I spent weeks listening to and reading her screeds, like which which have been recorded over the course of several years. She's been doing this for a very long time, okay? And you get to watch this like slow motion, just train wreck unfold over the over like several posts a week. You get these like almost daily updates on her. And um she begins, she's excited and she's feeling very empowered and giving other women, you know. She's uh, she's giving other detailed women detailed instructions on how they can join in the fun, right? And so she talks about her efforts to feel loved during this time, and you know, as you might imagine, you know, the challenges that this presents to having sincere emotional connections with men who disapprove of her lifestyle, and um, and how men who do approve of her lifestyle actually don't treat her well at all, or stay around very long, you know. And as you go through her timeline, you get to the current day, you know, she's alone. And, like, she's realizing that she's not a young woman anymore. And she, she's she got a cat. And she calls the cat her roommate. And she notices that she's, like, getting fewer swipes on Tinder. And since she's a reasonably talented writer, her sadness is conveyed in her text, even when she's trying to sound empowered, because that's what a woman's voice does. 
And I have not had the heart to record this, much less publish it. I was too troubled by what I saw. And I and and like though I hate this woman, like I, I really don't like what she's done. Like it feels wrong to exploit her further after how she has been so badly led astray by others. And like knowing that her suffering is only going to intensify with time because she still refuses to learn the lessons of this. So like last Tuesday, when I stumble upon this woman's videos, like I, like I went to YouTube because I wanted some beauty. Like I kind of just felt the urge for this. I was actually just looking for, you know, sort of the vocalist. And I wanted to hear like the voice of a pretty girl to do something more gracious than moan. And so I went on YouTube and I posted, I was like, I was really repulsed by what I initially saw because there were songs that I heard on the radio that they sounded very nice. Like, you, you know, when you're in a concrete cell and you have nothing but the sound, like your mind creates an image, you know? And then you look at the video and you're like, oh, this is awful. I hate this. You know, and I was really upset about it. And I posted a telegram half jokingly. So we're going to have to ban music videos in the ethno state or whatever. And, uh, and then my luck changed and I found, I found, uh, some vocals and visuals more to my liking. One of the singers that I had come to appreciate is a woman by the name of Lizzie Hale. And she did a very powerful song with this woman I mentioned, um, Lindsay Sterling. And this led me to search for Lindsay Sterling is how I stumble upon this violinist. Now, Miss Sterling is, uh, she's very young and she's very beautiful and she's very talented. And she has a top notch production team working with her. She doesn't, or at least in the videos that I watch, she doesn't sing much. When I started listening to her MP3s while I've been walking, she actually does seem to sing more. But in the videos I was watching, she doesn't sing much. But she could do amazing things with a violin that are almost like a woman's voice. And I felt like she was singing to me. In these videos, she's mostly just dancing very gracefully, often like in beautiful but very tasteful clothing and like while playing the violin and often these like natural environments or natural, you know, looking environments or pre-electricity civilizational settings. And she's always very graceful and she's never lewd. And her vi- in her violin, it conveys, I mean, I couldn't get over that I felt like the violin was her voice and she was conveying all the, you know, emotional content that a woman's voice can convey with this violin. I was really just, I was floored by this. And she appears, you know, at one with the violin and like her facial expressions, you know, they're, they're vivid, you know. And I was so totally immersed in the experience. I spent hours watching this. And it occurred to me at first, like, that I had not seen anything so beautiful in more than three years. Obviously, I was in prison. And then I come out here and I'm looking at junkies and garbage. You know? Um, And I was, uh, that would be troubling enough on its own. And then it occurred to me after that, that like, like I had actually been deprived of this for far longer than that because like prior to my arrest in 2020, like this could have been background noise. Like, like I would have, in 2019, would I have like sat for, if I would have sat in front of a computer for hours watching some broad plate of violin? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done that. I would, I, I'd either not notice it or I'd turn it off. I'd be like, I have things to do. What are you talking about? What do I care about your dumb violin whore? I can download 2000 songs in an hour for free while I watch a girl twice as hot as you eat some other girl out. Well, the guy I can pretend is me smashes away on her like she's mere exercise equipment. 
And when I'm done, and I'll say it just like that too, done, I'll turn it off. Get back to cursing out ethnic groups on the internet because that's my idea of pursuing righteousness. Let's hurry up and get this damn war started. I'm bored with laughing at suffering. I want blood and fire and the distench of decaying humanity. Such is what, like, I require to, like, you know, feel any intensity, right? Like, like having been desensitized as I had been. And so when I saw the leaves in the pictures, it occurred to me that, like, I had been deprived of beauty for three years. But I watched this woman dance with her on the ice with her violin. I was, like, baffled at, you know, the fact there was on the verge of tears by this. And it's, it, you know, it occurred to me that, no, like... I've been deprived of this not for three years. I'm bothered by this in the extreme. You know, Miss Sterling's been on YouTube for 16 years. Her, 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 my current favorite video of hers was published 11 years ago. And, you know, I'm giving new eyes to this. I'm not complaining about, you know, the, the experiences I'm talking about. I'm giving new eyes for it precisely because, thanks to being locked up for this period of time, like, I did not have all of these, you know, distractions. I'm not stunned by the woman's grace because I hadn't seen it in three years. I'm stunned by the woman's grace because I've been distracted by filth, you know, at least since I discovered dirty magazines in the 1980s when I was too young to understand my erection. And when I was able to see this and appreciate it this way, like it gave me pause about a lot of things. We have a tendency like to look around us and we see a lot of chaos and, and we see a lot of ugliness and we want to destroy that thing, you know? And I would say that it is with all propriety that we have this impulse to reckon with, but reckon with it, gentlemen, we must, lest we too becomes the destroyers of beauty. We should not forget that it exists because we are bombarded with all of this ugliness. In recent months, I think part of the caution that I've, you know, sort of been back and forth toying with, let's say, is I am perhaps more averse to participating in destruction as a general matter. I want to create things. I, I, I want to build things. I, I want to make and improve upon build beautiful things. Whether this is to be uh, uh, cut with precision through a mountain or like to arrange words ever so thusly, like any asshole can break things and hate people. You know, any criminal can end a life and far too many do. I could have, uh, I could have, I was so mad, like I could have jumped across a courtroom um, during my trial in New Hampshire when I was being questioned by one of the prosecutors. She asked me something about my fondness for language, and I said to her, there's a quote, language is a useful tool and a beautiful art form. And she shrieked at me, and she's like, you use that useful tool and beautiful art form to say this? And her, her accusation, it made me very angry. It was like as if she had insulted my art for, for her to put it this way. But I could only answer yes, because, you know, that was, you know, however manipulatively framed, that was the truth. And so I don't know if I am like right or wrong to say that we should try to prevent the destruction of what is here on account of my not wanting to lose what beauty and worth remain in this world. 
I have come to realize, however, that there is more beauty and worth in this world than I had uh, once appreciated. I suspect I am not the only one who has failed to appreciate many of these things. And I do not wish for anyone to go through what I went through to be able to see them. But we should be very cautious about our capacity and temptation for destruction. That beauty, the beauty that remains, it is very valuable. And, and the more scarce it becomes, the more valuable it is. And, and if we are like too busy with nonsense in our heads to see it, you know, that could be, we could commit a very terrible sin wrecking things because we were incapable of noticing that they were there. Now, it's not lost on me, like, the argument that all of this could be destroyed if we don't destroy the destroyers, right? And, like, I take seriously, you know, my role as a man that, you know, men have to participate in some ugliness for beauty to exist, right? And I also accept with the slightest bit of reluctance that, you know, given license to do that, I probably enjoy myself, you know? I know something of my capacity for destruction, my capacity to enjoy it. I had long, uh, I long considered this a virtue, right? Like I started to notice the world was spiraling out of control and I came to believe that perhaps, you know, I come to my position for a time such as this. And yes, that's an intentional, if incomplete Bible quote. Thinking that, um, thinking that I had that purpose, you know, sort of tr helped me to trust my intuitions, right? If I'm here for a purpose, then, you know, thy will be done. No sense resisting it. Not making a literal claim here, but like I, re I recall a quote, um, I guess it was American Family Radio, I heard this. Um, somebody said, when God calls on you, you know, you either you can either say thy will be done or God can say, all right, have it your way. You know, and the implications of this are obvious. God or no God, if you refuse to do what you're here to do, then like you're going to get exactly what you asked for. and You're probably going to regret it. And so back to beauty. Some of you might recall, like I showed you this image of a woman. She calls herself Elliot Page now. And um, she was once very beautiful. And, and her parents had named her Ellen. She uh, she had been a very successful actress, and in the course of this, it may suffice to say that like she got mixed up with the wrong people, and she had some regrettable sexual experiences. As she credits these experiences with like the decision to cut off her breasts and start taking testosterone, and she assures us that she's very happy, and that you know this is just exa one example of why, like I don't take women at their word, right? Like. You see her, you see her face, she's miserable, she's in pain, she's telling you she's happy. The sadness of Ellen's eyes and tone betray her deceit, and anyone who tells her that they don't know it is a monster, okay? They're, they're destroying this woman. And I've always found the transgender thing, as I said before, it's very troubling to me, but like I've always tended to view it as predatory and contaminating and contagious, but I tend to think of it until pretty recently mostly as feminizing men. And if men are predisposed to being feminized, well, you know, I'm like okay with them being killed. So like, what do I care if they prance around in a dress for a few months before they do themselves in? Whatever. What few women I had seen, like, start taking steroids, I didn't figure they had very much, like, beautiful value to begin with. But you recall that, like, I was really troubled by this Ellen Page story, 
I compared whoever talked her into this into like a, being a child molester because that is the worst sort of criminal I can generally think of speaking, right? Like, and and this seemed to be like the most the worst thing a person could do short of that. Say, destroying feminine beauty. At the time, I thought like I I had this. I compared. I said, "Is it worse?" I don't. I I don't know. It was kind of like this. I was musing about this half jokingly, but I this was the experience that I was going through. Like I I felt like maybe that's worse, you know. But beyond even destroying it, like worse than destroying it, like making it a sick perversion, right? Like it wasn't just destruction. It was like blasphemy. Like you took this like holy object of reverence and you made a mockery of it, and then it walks around like constantly. M- you know, making a joke of it. It'd be much better to, like, kill her, just put a bullet in her head and, like, put her in some kind of a meat grinder and, you know, just destroy her so that she's not there anymore than to make a mockery of what she had been. I was, like, really deeply offended by this. And I experienced this very intensely. And that was part of the contemplations I was going through last week, that, like, as I was contemplating all this, that, like, that's what troubled me so much about it. I was deprived of both like the feminine beauty in, in prison. And I was also deprived of like the desensitizing influence of pornography all those years that like the perversion, right? The perversion was like overwhelming for me. Like I'm not used to watching perversion anymore. What's you've sinned. What's wrong with you? You know? Like I understand I understand theft, like I get it. I'm mean, not approve of it, obviously, but I get on some level I understand it. You want something, you take it, whatever. Drugs make perfect sense to me. Men killing other men, you know, might be described as a miracle. We don't see more of that. But like destroying a woman, I've always thought is like a uniquely wicked thing, right? Not only because they're like the weaker sex, like I consider it a terrible thing for women to destroy other women. It's not it's not just a power disparity. It's like it's because of it's not just like a it's not chivalry necessarily it's or my desire to possess them it's like but because they they like women are even women who are not that beautiful or whatever but like they're beautiful and precious creatures such that their frailty is considered a positive like feature of their existence contrary to men you know and who like that's a form of death right People confuse survival of the fittest by saying, you know, only the strong survive. But women remind us of the error in this, you know, thought process. That the strength and the capacity for destruction that stains the soul of every man, it would like deprive a woman of this pleasantness that makes them such a joy to be around, right? Like the gentleness that makes them so ideal for nurturing children. It's like the disarming, for want of a better term, like, like this aura, this force field that hangs around them, you know. She wields a power that, like, she can she can walk up to, like, the most dangerous of men and, and do so little as, like, brush her fingernails against his forearm, right? And she just makes of him a request and, you know, as though hypnotized, he may be powerful, powerless to resist her. And I don't know if that's, like, beauty so much as it is magic or whatever, but I have only my, you know, eyes and ears to observe it, and I'm at the mercy of what remain of my senses in her presence, so, you know, I'm working with what I got. But whatever it is, like, God or no God, like, like it is a terrible sin to wreck that thing, you know. Whether you wreck it for everybody else by, like, smashing it with a hammer, or whether you wreck it for yourself by destroying your mind with pornography, it's not, it's not entirely different categories of action. 
because like if you're unable to appreciate the thing, then like you're not you're not just deprived of the thing yourself. Okay, like in your blindness, you're dangerous. You're like a drunk driver on the highway, right? And and you're surely more dangerous if you take an interest in politics while so impaired, you know. And I mean, like, I, I suppose a lot of what I've done here, it's like it's sort of like the reflections of an artist in a lot of sense. But I think that there's, you know, politically useful information in there. It's kind of a difficult thing to conclude. It's not a story that ends. It's not a mathematical equation. I don't have any like instructions for you to follow other than perhaps to like take inventory from time to time. The, 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 the cursed things that plague modernity are, I think, less in what they actually destroy than in what they deprive us of the capacity to appreciate. You know? And if we do not appreciate them, then we will be the ones who wreck them. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of that going on. And I don't think that the dissident right is at all, like, immune to it. And I did, like, I, I do think I can sort of conclude this thing, and then we'll get, I'll get back to you guys consequently. I talked a little bit earlier about Matt Hale and, like, the world church of the creator. And as you know, like, I had my disagreements with him about this, but I found one thing that Mr. Hale told me about was very uh, was a very sab- savvy observation. It was what he said about the name of the world church of the creator, like, in the World Church of the Creator, there's no God. He's not talking about the Creator like like Christians do. He's talking about you, as a matter of fact, like white people, white men, specifically white white people are the creators. You are the creator, white man. And if you look around and once in a while, you know, like that's kind of like just difficult to disagree with, right? You deign that your God commanded you to control nature and you obeyed. You mastered wood and stone, and bronze, and iron. You built castles, tamed horses, and conquered the land. You built ships, you conquered the waves. You built weapons, and armies, and conquered the savages. And though your enemies today describe this as a rampage of wanton destruction, there are wheels, highways, and hospitals in Africa, which offer no small dispute of this. You built this world, and if it falls apart, that will be your fault. You are guiltless in its creation. You are credited with this. You are not a destructive force. You are a creative one. And if you have committed any crime in history, it is that you have believed the destructive lies of your enemies and abdicated the responsibilities that your ancestors incurred with their creations. Your creations are not self-perpetuating works of God. Their creations aren't, for that matter. They are works of your hands and your mind. And to the extent it may be said that God acts on earth, he does so through you. So go forth and build something beautiful, my fellow creator. Thank you for uh, tolerating me throughout that, and I will, uh, I will open it up to you guys. I, I guess I'll jump in. So, so Chris, you talked. I, I missed a little bit of that, but you talked about the uh, the positives of of female nature. Now, do do you think that there are, um, uh, shall we say, any any negatives, um, or 
um, are, are there some sorts of things where if you could theoretically just snap your fingers and change female nature, is there anything you would, you would change? Yeah. I'd make them all want to sleep with me. I mean, other than that, I mean, <laughs> um, look, I think that, um, men and women are, you know, complementary to one another. Okay. And so like the, I, I should not expect to understand what women are doing fundamentally, right? She's like a different creature than me. And so, like, do I find myself at times, like, dissatisfied with women in some ways? Like, obviously, yeah. You know, even when they're having sex with me, and right now they're not, so I'm very dissatisfied with them. And so, like, you know, I, um, obviously there, there are probably, there are things that are dissatisfying to me about my experiences with women and, and their influences on politics in particular, but, like, you know, I think that, you know, fundamentally, the the mechanics of human civilization is that men are responsible for things. And so, like, um, you know, to the extent that women are misbehaving, it's like we like that's a, you know, the, men bear a responsibility for that. Right. And so I don't think that like I don't think women are like I don't think that the nature of women is broken in any sense, if that's your question. I, I don't think that that's the case. I, I think that. They might be exhibiting responses to stimuli, which I find unpleasant, but I'm also, you know, I'm more, I actually think the, the stimuli is, you know, fundamentally at, at issue. Now, some women individually, like, yeah, maybe they have character flaws or whatever, but I don't think the nature of women is in any way incorrect. Well, um, one issue is that according to MBTI, you see that uh, males tend to have... Um, more of the thinker personality and females tend to have more of the feeler personality, uh, meaning that, um, what is it? Uh, you know, males tend to be more rational. Um, would you say that if a man, uh, if a rational man has a choice, um, between a rational woman and an irrational woman that he should prefer, he should actually prefer the irrational one? Well, I, I think that you're equating a woman being more emotional with a woman being irrational. And I don't I don't know that that's I don't know that that's an appropriate I, I don't know that that's an appropriate connection. So, like, I think that one of the things that I've you know sort of discovered over time is that, like, you know, you can rationalize lots of things, you know, and. It, it might actually be helpful once in a while. Like women can be helpful, right? Like if women, if you, if you're doing something and women are upset by it, like I'm not saying that that makes it wrong, but it's worth reconsidering the thing, right? Like if, if you, like women will have emotional reactions to things that they can't logically explain. And the fact that they're in touch with that is like, I think there's valuable information in it as a matter of fact. And so like, hmm. you know, Women are women are important. Like they're important to help us understand ourselves. As a matter of fact, I think. And so, like, you know, if a woman's just a raving lunatic, I mean, you know, do I want an irrational woman who's like, like, no, space aliens are coming to get us? You have to, you know, like, you know, I, I don't, yeah, if she's like, you know, if she's off the wall saying things that are incoherent or whatever. You know, if she's schizophrenic, then that doesn't mean that she's a good partner. But like, if if she's if if her her it's it's a it's entirely appropriate that like her her responses to things are emotive and intuitive and that's providing you with information that like you don't otherwise get and so like to have that information i think is valuable and and that men would do well to you know learn to interpret the data 
Mm. Well, a, a lot of uh, males in our movement are autistic. And of course, that includes myself. I, I see this trend of autistic men actually seeking out autistic women. Uh, is this a trend you consider to be negative? Should should they try to avoid this? Um, I'm sorry. So you say men in our movement are seeking out autistic women because they think that they're like more on the same sort of wavelength. Is that the idea that you just said? Uh, perhaps. And I was saying that men in our movement themselves tend to be higher in autistic traits. So, you know, I have um, I've dated an autistic woman before and like. I, like one who like, I could actually tell and like another one who told me that, you know, she'd been diagnosed with this at some point. And, like, um, I don't, I, I, you know, I think that that will cause you to have some, I think that will cause you to miss out on some things. Cause one of the things they say about autistic women or women with Asperger's syndrome, like that they, they're, they're less often diagnosed properly actually, because what what happens is that they, they behave like neurotypical males. And so they're called tomboys or whatever, but it's actually, it, it, upon further analysis, it could be diagnosed as a form of autism. So that, um, that you know, that pathology is a, it's a, it, it, what do you call it? It's, um, it, it, it is, uh, it's, it's a, it is a pathology. It's, it's a problem, right? It's, it's a neurodivergent. It's a, it, I, it's a hell is am I looking for? It's a disorder, you know, condition. And so like, you know, it doesn't mean that they're valueless or whatever. I mean, if a man finds, you know, happiness with her, you know, I, I think that, you know, autistic people in lots of cases live, you know, happy, productive lives. I'm certainly not saying that they should be like eugenicized out of civilization or whatever, but I, I don't think that, I don't think a neurotypical male will actually find a great deal of satisfaction with a woman who is not, doesn't display normal female emotive tendencies. I think that he'll find that he's missing a great deal. Um, well, I, I wasn't talking about a neurotypical man. I was talking about a man who himself is on the autism spectrum. I mean, you know, if, if he is, then I can't, I can't speak to that man's experience intelligently. Right. But like, I, I, but so I, I don't know. And also, if a man is autistic and he finds himself with an autistic woman, just from a eugenics angle, like, OK, like your children will carry that gene and you're not spreading that to, you know, a healthy woman. It actually, you know, there's an argument to be made that that's that's better for society, I would say. Um, but that's kind of cold and it's not really the point that I mean to make. I, I don't know. I don't know what the inner mind and life of an autistic person is like, or at least I don't think so, you know. And so I don't, I can't speak to what satisfaction he will get of it. It may be that like his, you know, if, if their experience of like social signals and, you know, emotional responses and stuff like that is such that a, a neurotypical woman could be like, too confusing for them to deal with. It would make sense to me that an an autistic man would find greater satisfaction with an autistic woman. That makes sense to me. I think a neurotypical man with a woman who had like Asperger's or 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 autism would find that a, a challenging experience. And I say that with some with some knowledge of the situation. All right. Well, thanks for your input there. 
Thank you very much. Anybody else want to chime in? Hey, Chris, I just wanted to say I, I thought that was a really beautiful and moving and insightful monologue, and I really appreciate it. That's all I got. Thank you very much, Pat. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yo, one one thing that uh, might be interesting for you to find, it's a little hard to find now, uh, but it's called The Science of Sex Appeal. Something I think you'd really find interesting because when you talk about beauty, one of the things they talk about is, you know, what triggers our brain to find beauty in something. And this is more so with like people or objects per se than like just scenic views kind of thing, but definitely worth watching. It was really insightful. It's probably about a decade or so old, but it's called The Science of Sex Appeal. Definitely recommend it. But you say that they're talking about the beauty of objects, not just not just people? Yeah, they were showing like plants and uh, art in general. And one of the things that they talked about was symmetry being one of the biggest things for beauty. And it's like you look at someone's face, the symmetry of the face, symmetry of the body. Like these are things that are basically programmed neurologically in our head to show like perfection, I guess. And that's something that you could, I guess, experience in art, um, whether it's, you know, an object or a plant or a person kind of thing. But it was a very interesting uh, documentary, and I definitely recommend checking it out on the subject of beauty. It's interesting. Thank you. Thank you. That is, uh, that, that sounds very valuable. And, I, and I'll say something on it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll make a joke first. If you're Japanese, then I guess, uh, they, they like things that aren't perfect, but, uh, I, I actually think that does apply to love as well because, uh, you know, there's, you have to find things that maybe aren't appealing about women, uh, at first, you you will find them feeling uh, as time goes on. You know, particularly if you stay in a long term relationship and uh, you know have to deal with uh, a lot of stressful situations and and stuff like that. And I think what you said about, I I think everything you said is, uh, I I pretty much agree with. And particularly what you're saying about how women are complementary. And I think both. I mean, it's kind of hard to <clears throat> look at what's going on and say, well, uh, it's a problem with people. It's like you said, I think people are responding to the situation and you can't really blame them for responding to the situation at hand. I mean, <clears throat> uh, you know, we're kind of in a a soup of poison and people act poisoned. It shouldn't be surprising, right? Well, yeah, you know, like... You know, I I uh I think I'm going to give them a promo code or something. You know, there's this woman who takes me to the store on a regular basis. She's an old friend of mine in New Hampshire who like um you know, that I knew from the Free State project and she I got a message from her. How much should I say? Anyway, I have political conversations with her and she's uh she has considered herself an anarchist for a very long time and she hasn't entirely abandoned that yet you know and so i have these conversations with her when she takes me to the store that like i'm making i, I she causes me to articulate a defense of the state in a way that like i was sort of trying to approximate this in an episode titled defense of the state and i and i don't think i did a very good job of it i intend to return back to that subject but I think I'm going to try to get her to start joining these things or at least calling into the show because she causes me to, you know, articulate things in, that I that I often don't have to because she's not familiar with the subject matter that we are. But like, like one of the things I was saying to her recently is that, you know, 
you know, most people don't have any capacity to participate in politics. They're not they're not they're not actually suited to it. And it's and it's actually like arrogant and wrong to expect this of them. What they have the capacity to do is to go out and help people for some you know portion of the day and then to come home and love their families. And like that's an appropriate thing for them to do. And, you know, people who expect them to like, I don't know, be, you know, high IQ or autistic libertarians or whatever, like that's actually like not an appropriate you know, disposition to have towards these people. And so um, that's the case with like everything else. All you can, like, like people are responding to stimuli and you can be upset with the stimuli. You can be upset with their response to the stimuli if you think their response to the stimuli is inappropriate. But like, if they're like, they're met with what they're met with. And and so part of the thing that I, I talked about in the, the episode of radical agenda titled persuasive is like, you have to meet these people where they are. Like that's, that is the condition that you are met with as somebody who wants to try to, you know, engage with people and, and change their views. If you want to, you want to change the, their perceptions and like, you have to figure out, you know, what their experiences is are, and you have to speak to their experience. And so their experience is they're in this world with all of the things that attend to it. And they're met with all of the incentives that that world provides. And if you go to them and you say that they're wicked for responding to those incentives, then they're like, well, you know, you obviously don't know me because I'm a good person. So, you know, screw off and I'm not going to listen to you. And so, like, whatever the whatever the context is, yeah, I mean, you know, people are responding to stimuli and you have to work with them within the context of that. And so, like, you know, if women are responding to the incentives of, you know, an education like they're, they're, they go to kindergarten, you know, they go to nursery school. And from the moment they get in there, you know, they're told like, oh, you know what you should do? is you should go to college and, you know, go become a, a, a bank teller and, uh, you know, try not to catch this disease called pregnancy or whatever. And they do this. And then, like, all of the pathologies that erupt from that and their behavior, you know, you don't like it. You, you, you try to make moral judgments about her on the basis of that. Like, you know, go tell her kindergarten teacher, dude. Like, what you know, it's not... And I don't mean to absolve everybody of, you know, moral responsibility or, you know, accountability for their actions or whatever, but, you know, it's, you have to take the stimuli into consideration. You have to realize that, you know, not everybody's operating at, you know, 120 IQ and, and reading books about all of the things that we, you know, talk about. And so, you know, operating within the, you know, you have to operate within their experiences and try to change the damn stimuli. And that's how you can, you know, change their behavior, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, I and uh, you know, this is a very common topic among uh, the circles that I participate in. And we talk about, you know, things for ranging from politics to relationships and the merger of the of the two concepts and how you kind of navigate that. And also, uh, you know, something Alex Jones said for years, which is, uh, you know, they're basically going after the women because they know it's, you know the slavery model you 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 have a you you have you control the women and therefore you control the men and uh i think that's certainly a big part of what we see happening and we can't underestimate how powerful that is i mean it's extremely powerful if you you know women are more easily to easy to manipulate uh particularly emotionally right so we have to take that in consideration but at the same time we have to encourage uh men to uh, figure out a way through that because there's no other choice. <laughs> so I, I think it's a very important uh, topic. You know, I'm not I'm not entirely certain that women are more easy to manipulate. Like like they have, you know, it sort of goes back to it, you know, as 
talking about with Matt that like, you know, like women actually, I think, have a more like intuitive revulsion to a lot of things that that come up and they're, you know, they eventually like adjust to it. Like, you know, people who think themselves very rational are very easy to manipulate. Right. You go and say, hey, you know, here are all of these facts that you should respond to, you know, and and um, Dan says uh, women absolutely are. It's why advertising is aimed at them. It's also because they're like responsible for household spending because because you've been manipulated into giving them control of the bank accounts, right? So like if they're the ones who control like 80% of household spending, no wonder the advertisements are pointed at them. Um, but uh, uh, the uh, like, I think that an intuitive sense about things, just responding to things on an emotional level is in a lot of ways, you know, less subject to manipulation than a lot of intellectualizing that goes on because look at libertarianism. Like libertarianism is, you know, that's what that's what that thing is, right? The whole entire purpose of the enterprise is like, you know, hey, look at this like supremely rational order that we've like conjured in our logical minds. And why don't you just, you know, fall in love with your own intellect and like, you know, do this thing that's completely contrary to everything that you've ever known because I'm intellectualizing it for you. I mean, that's that's a that's an ex that's one example of, you know, intellectual manipulation. Now, of course, you know libertarianism is not nearly so uh, popular as feminism. So maybe, maybe my point is disproven by this alone, but there's that. Um, Hadding says in the chat, he says, that's problematic because there are many more autistic men than women. You know, I'm actually not certain that that's the case. Like one of the things that I learned in the course of this, you know, couple of romantic situations I was involved in is like I said before that like, Autistic women and women with on the autism spectrum, say, including like Asperger's syndrome is like they present as neurotypical males. And that's a lot. I think that actually like a lot of your like tomboy stuff is probably actually like women who are on the um, who are on the autism spectrum. And if you and if you take women who are diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum and then all the women who are not diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, but are presenting as neurotypical males and, and exhibiting tomboyish behavior. Well, then actually what you might what you might discover is that actually it's not it's actually not more typical in men. It's just being identified more often because like, wait a second, you have this like, you know, a, a male is whatever it is that autism does. I'm not going to try to, you know, figure that out in the next two minutes. But, you know, that certain of those traits that, you know, sort of like, you know, compartmentalized disconnectedness emotionally you know, presents as masculine. And then if you're already masculine and you're more disconnected than that, then people are like, well, what's wrong with you? You know, they don't do that with women. They're like, oh, you're a tomboy. Go play soccer or whatever. You know, and so, and I think that that also would go a long way towards explaining why, like, like I said before about the, the, the transgender thing, I used to think that this was a, a phenomenon of men wanting to become women. And of course, I like, that was probably the case you know, a few years ago. And apparently in the last three or four years, like it's blown up that it's like girls, you know? Well, and I, I, I have anecdotally, I've just seen a, a certain amount of evidence. I, I don't have statistics on this, but I think that a lot of these girls are actually, what's happening is they're, they're probably autistic. And so like, they're being told like, oh, you're different from other people. What it is, is you're a man. And so you should probably start taking testosterone and cut off your breasts. And so <clears throat> there's some evidence of that. I don't know. I don't have data on it, but um, it is 11.30, so if anybody's got quick thoughts, I'll take them. Uh, I, I just want to say, I, actually, I, I pretty much agree with what you said. And 
I think it's something we should talk about more often. Uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of guys we. I mean, for me, you know, I'm married and stuff, but I think a lot of guys they need a little bit of a push to try and navigate the waters as as hard as as hard as that might be. I think it's worthy of uh, further, uh, you know. It's de- it's definitely worthy of further explanation. You know, like I don't know, I've never. <laughs> I have delved into, uh, you know, talking about relationships a few times and, you know, at, at about to be 43 years old and single and having these like tragedies under my belt. I, d- I don't feel like I'm at all suited to purport myself to be an expert on relationships, but uh, we can we can discuss the topic as long as uh, as long as I am not expected to be like, here's what you do, because if you follow me, then you're really not going to be very happy. Um, but, uh, you know, but I can tell you what not to do. I can tell you all the things I screwed up and that'll be very valuable information for young men. And so we can definitely do that. And so thank you all very much. Anybody else last, uh, last, uh, last chance. So for, uh, I'm not going to say forever hold your peace, but you'd do it for, uh, until we talk later on telegram or next week or whatever. Uh, one quick thing I wanted to talk about, and it's not something that we have to get too deep into, but. Um, the Antifa files, which is about the leaks that came out of the discord of that tranny group down in South Carolina. Um, the third part of that came out a couple days ago and it talked about a couple different people, but one of them already lost their job, or at least that's what they're claiming on Twitter. So I just wanted everyone to feel good about that. You know, uh, tranny Antifa are losing their jobs because they're violent and crazy and it's, it's good to hear. Well, that's great news, you know, and, and until they go work at CNN, I think, you know, they, they're all going to get jobs at think tanks. But, uh, yeah, let's go. And, you know, as, as much trouble as can be created for them is definitely good news that a little bit of taste of their own medicine. And, uh, you know, a worst case scenario, you know, they could always go, you know, sell their bodies with Kathy Risenwitz. And that'll be that'll be great. And so anybody else? Anything? Uh, Antifa Files Part 3. That's at uh, JusticeReport.com. Pat? Yes, that's correct. Okay, or I think it's it at, it's actually it's ago, at national. And then Just- eleven hours ago, if you go on the guy's Twitter, which they linked in the uh, in the report, he's complaining about getting fired. So and he's begging money. Oh well, okay. Well, let's let's go uh, get his. Uh, let's hope he loses his GoFundMe. Hey, you're a terrorist. You don't get to use the credit cards anymore. Um, you're 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 a gender terrorist, and you don't get to use dollars because that's where we're taking this thing. All right, great. I think it's actually it's at National Justice Party, not the Justice Report, right? They probably link to it from Justice Report, but I, if I remember correctly, these things the the, the go ahead. there's actually no, a link to it in the uh, in the prep group there. Oh, okay, 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 very good. Um, well, not everybody's in there, but anyway, if you go to National Justice Party or Justice Report, you'll find these things, and I would uh, I would encourage everybody to do so and uh, familiarize yourself with. Uh, with the Reds and all of their degenerate behavior and what the consequences are, because, you know, to find that they actually have consequences. I mean, that's a, that's a brave new world, isn't it? So, all right, guys. Well, thank you all so much for, uh, for tuning in. Anybody else, anybody else, anybody else? All right, great. A, okay, go ahead. Real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, I have, I found a couple articles about Trump and uh, how he's basically trying to make friends. Orthodox Jews versus others. Do you want me to send that in the? This is not. This doesn't need to be done here. So I have a show prep group. We talk on Telegram. It's not. It's not. We don't need to do that right now. So, 
Um, I'm going to play the, uh, I'm going to play the outro music and, uh, yeah, I saw a video where Trump was like, uh, oh, well, if we don't win, if we don't get elected, Israel's going to be in big trouble. I saw somebody post that on Twitter and I was like, ah, well, you know, I think they're probably going to be in trouble anyway, because they really ticked off a lot of people. And so that's, uh, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. And I really appreciate you, uh, you chiming in for it. I really appreciate you tuning in for it. Those of you who downloaded it, thank you so much. Those of you who paid for it anyway, if you didn't pay for it, then, you know, you're a crook. But whatever, you can make yourself an honest person. Surrealpolitics.com slash join. And you know what? Because I've been to prison and I know a couple of thieves or whatever, I'll even, uh, you can make an honest self, a person on yourself. Agenda 33 will get you a discount. Just do it. Pay. And you'll be much better off. Your soul will be redeemed. Which is a great thing. Redemption, you know? Get a little confession in there. You don't even have to confess. Just, you know, pay. Just pay. All right? Thank you. 